Welcome to the For the Throne Dynasty Podcast. Starring your defending champion, Randy of House Santarelli, Ryan of House Palmer, Logan of House Meyer, Tyler of House Para, Danny of House Sladke, Jake of House Hollyfield, Andy of House Pollock, Michael of House Sladke, Justin of House St. Peter, Steve of House Ellinger, Garrett of House Sturkin, and Will of House Larson. Welcome into our weekly episode of the For the Throne Dynasty podcast. Happy Memorial Day. I hope you guys had your fair share of brats and hamburgers, beers, and fun as much as you possibly could. Will, how was your Memorial Day? Mine was actually pretty good. Uh, spent some time with a lady, met some of her friends as well. Other than that, it was, it was just a pretty good weekend. Just good to kind of sit back, relax, and get ready for another fun week of work here now. This week we are going to be covering a couple trades that have been happening in the last few weeks. We're going to talk about our fab that was dropped after the draft. And we are going to talk about that draft, looking at team-by-team summaries. So we're going to get into our first segment, All About Trades. And we're going to go back to trades that happened during our For the Throne rookie draft. The very first trade that went down included Will, yours truly, and Justin St. Peter. Will, do you want to talk about the trade? I had made it publicly publicly known in our league that 102 was definitely available, uh, especially after the actual NFL draft came to be. I had my mind set on a few players. You know, I kind of looked like pre-draft where their destinations might be. I ended up personally being a, a little disappointed as far as uh, where the players were drafted at. So again, I made it known that 102 was available. The week of our draft, uh, I was approached by Justin, who had a strong desire to acquire 102. And Justin himself had three first round, or yeah, three first round picks, seven, eight, and nine, all in order. Uh, and it was apparent that Justin really needed a running back. My biggest thing for 102 was that I was going to look at maybe getting a running back myself, um, kind of like a Jonathan Taylor's, who I was eyeing up in that spot the week of that draft and doing my research on him. And I felt like he could definitely be the next star there in Indianapolis, uh, depending on what happens with Marlon Mack. But Justin and I came to agreement uh, Wednesday of that week, and I told him that I didn't want to announce the trade until draft night just because with our format over the Zoom call, I just wanted to get Logan a little bit riled up too and just kind of, you know, maybe throw a little, like, I don't know, woge bomb on draft night. Let me say this too. I, I tried to get uh, the first pick from Justin, which was 107, and he wanted an additional third-round pick for that, tr- uh, for that pick, and I was not willing to do so just because I felt like I could definitely find some value still in the third round. Looking back, I feel like I probably could have made the move myself because – Justin still had 107, and me needing a running back as badly as I did, I was hoping that Akers would have been available, and wish he wasn't. So Justin was able to get two really good running backs here in round one with Jonathan Taylor and Cam Akers. Again, I tried to move some of my picks again just to see if there was anybody interested. You know, just looking back on this trade, it's sad that I will not have the opportunity to have Jonathan Taylor on my roster. In fact, I felt like he could have slotted in right away uh, at day one as my running back two. But, you know, you got to take some chances here. And I'm happy that I was still able to get two picks in round one. Now, I remember that D. Sladke, live in our Zoom, you and him were kind of communicating. And you said, oh, I wish I would have saw that when I was on the clock. Do you want to talk about what he was referring to there? I was still trying to see who had an interest in uh, 109. And after I grabbed Bond there... He had reached out to me in my DMs, uh, I believe through Zoom, and he said, check sleeper, so we did. But this was completely after the fact. I, this was after I had taken Mims, and he said, I would easily do a trade if you wanted uh, Jarvis Landry for Jerry Judy. And I, did, I saw that way too late, because I went ahead and I made my pick for Mims, and I was feeling good about 
getting the guy that I wanted, I said to him, well, I wish you would have reached out to me sooner or later because I definitely would have made that trade. I said that on draft night, but, you know, looking back now, I'm not even sure if Jarvis Landry will be ready for day one, so I can definitely understand now the reason why D Sladke wanted to try and move Jarvis Landry just to get a kind of a blue chip uh, prospect there with Judy. So, mm-hmm. Speaking of Jerry Judy then, Stirk Daddy came on the clock at 110 and made it known that he was going to sift through offers for that pick. Ryan and I were both going at it, trying to get some assets together in order to grab that pick. I can guarantee, because Ryan was pissed when I ended up landing Jerry Judy, he was offering and he was planning to take him as well. It came at a pretty heavy price, so I gave up my 201, which was three picks later, and my first-round pick next year. I'm hoping that that first-round pick next year is late. Originally, I think we were coming pretty close to offers, including second- and third-round picks. I think I had three on the table. The fact that he fell all the way to 10, in my eyes, was pretty wild. And I feel like you you definitely needed to make a move like that. I, I feel like when if you can easily get a skill set like Jerry Judy like that, it's definitely worth making the deal for him. Um, yeah, it does come at a cost, but I feel like in a very deep class that this wide receiver class was, this was kind of a necessary move on your part in order to get the guy that you wanted there. Andy made her 203 available, and she ended up sending it to Tyler, who moved up two spots. Andy grabbed his 205, so she only moved back two spots, and she got Tyler's third-round pick. Tyler called it a backflip, like all of his picks are, and he ends up trading up to grab Tua Tungo-Vailoa. Yeah, and he could definitely have a good career as well. Um, There also comes risk with Tua being taken a little high there, but I understand uh, his motive in trying to grab the guy that he wanted there at 203. Uh, Again, this is a guy that could easily stash on his taxi squad and just see if he maybe gets the opportunity to play this year in 2020. Our next trade happened between me again and Sterk Daddy. So our second time trading, I ended up sending my 311 to Sterk Daddy and I grabbed his fourth, so the middle of the fourth this year, and his third round pick next year. So I got two picks for the price of one. And I really thought that he was moving up to grab Cole Komet, the rookie tight end from the Bears who was still on the board. However, he traded up to grab Hayden Hurst, who is a pretty safe tight end to be drafted at the end of the third round, knowing that Austin Hooper really prospered last year, and I know you felt the effects of that. So uh, it was a very good trade in my eyes for him. For me, it was pretty irrelevant. I mean, I get a third-round pick next year, which I do like. Yeah, and I I feel like he kind of felt like he was on the hot seat and needed to make some sort of a move once the first tight end was taken off the board. You know, just coming from my perspective, I wasn't a fan of this trade. Um, I felt like it maybe wasn't necessary. Uh, Hayden Hurst, I believe, just looking at our board here, was the only free agent out of uh, all of our rookies here. So uh, only one of 48 being uh, free agent picks was actually quite an eye-opener, I guess, from my perspective. But... Um, he definitely gets his guy in Hurst, and like, like you had mentioned before, Hooper definitely thrived down there in Atlanta, uh, and I feel like you know this could be Hayden Hurst's year in a new offense, doing that new featured guy with uh, with Matt Ryan, just to hopefully take some uh, take some eyes off of Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley for sure. Looking at his roster, he only had Darren Waller on his team for tight ends, so it was. It was pretty solid that he at least got a tight end to put into his depth chart behind Darren Waller. He did recently put Darren Waller on the block as well. After the draft had commenced, Justin and I worked our magic. We were crunching the numbers for a few hours. We came to an agreement once 2023 picks were unlocked on Sleeper, we swapped 2023 fourth-round picks. What were your thoughts on that trade? Yeah, it was a substantial blockbuster, to tell you the truth. I felt like it was more for comical relief, to tell you the truth. So, it, not really much to think about here. I mean, we're in 2020, that's three years from now. So, I guess we'll have to wait and see. After that, Randy traded away one of his his soldiers from his quarterback 
camp in Kyle Allen to Stirk Daddy for a 2021 fifth round pick. Pretty pointless move on both ends, if we're being honest. I know Randy said, well, at least I got a pick. But at the same time, okay, it's a fifth-round pick. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, just from my point of view, our our fifth and sixth-round picks next year in our rookie drafts will probably end up being spent on IDPs. So, yeah, let's, let's trade a backup quarterback for a fifth-round pick that will probably end up being taken on maybe one of the star defensive players that are maybe taking the first round next year. I don't even know. I can't even tell you right now who the first prospect comes to mind Def- on the defensive side of the ball uh, for next year's rookie draft. Mm-hmm. Then Stirk made a really good trade, I thought. For all startup dynasty players, if they're having trouble with quarterback, the best thing to do is go out and look for teams that have good quarterback depth and especially veteran quarterbacks because the price is going to be very, very low in order to acquire them. He ends up trading a fourth-round pick to Justin for Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers, he's on a one-year contract with the Colts. He was solid with the Chargers, obviously, for his entire career. Had to give up little to nothing. He did a really good job there in dealing probably the bare minimum to get a guy that's obviously going to start next year and... uh, definitely make an impact and he, he's going to be in that indie offense that really suits him pretty well so he could definitely have a he could definitely have a good year this year uh there in indianapolis so way to go stir getty on that on that move next trade i want to touch on was one in which i acquired paris campbell who was a wide receiver rookie last year from the colts he didn't play most of the season with an injury but i ended up getting him from Little slads for a third-round pick next year, and $6 of fab. So we came to a discussion, and I said, I'll give you a fourth and some fab, because I knew that Little Slabs was running low on fab for Paris Campbell, because he put him on the block. And he said, well, I was really hoping I could get a third. So I said, yeah, I can definitely give you a third for next year. He said, all right, but now I have Paris Campbell, another piece to my wide receiver core. I thought it was worth the gamble, at least to try. I was just trying to get some more depth on my bench. I guess I don't blame you for making the move here. Uh, I'd love to see what he looks like now being paired with Phil Rivers. Going down to our final trade I wanted to discuss briefly, Danny Sladke ends up getting Damian Williams, who was a stud in the Super Bowl, really good at the end of the season last year when they actually gave him the work. And he ends up giving a 2022 third and fourth to his brother. Damian Williams is some nice insurance, knowing that he also has Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So now he has basically the entire Chiefs backfield of relevance. Yeah, and I feel I feel like that was a good move on his part too. And I don't, I don't think he really gives up that much either. I feel like, you know, at the bare minimum, he's got like a running back three, maybe a running back four in Damian Williams. He still, he still has some value in that Chiefs offense. Again, depending on what happens with uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for sure. Even on week one, who does he want to start? I hope he doesn't start both, but he's going to have that decision to make. Do I want to go with the rookie, knowing he was a first-round pick? Do I want to go with Damian Williams until they work CEH in? Kind of a decision he needs to think about even right now. We're going to come right back after this break and talk about our recent waivers that have processed of note. Come bow before your king. Bow, you shits. Will and I went through all of our recent waivers, and we picked out some that we thought were of note, either a big-time steal or a big-time overpay, and we're going to kind of talk about those. So the first one we want to talk about is Nick Foles, who went to Little Slads for $76. That is the sound of all of Little Slad's waiver money going down the drain into a backup quarterback. What were your thoughts on this, Will? I don't get it. I mean, would you rather have some fab available? I I get he's going to be like a hot commodity. I don't know if the Mitchell Trubisky experience is going to live on another year in Chicago. That's why they brought a guy like Foles in who can win in big games. But to spend $76 of your own fab money just to get him... So I, I personally I don't understand the move, but 
if you want to spend your fab on a backup quarterback, that's fine. He could very well, to play devil's advocate, win the, tr- the camp battle. Because Trubisky is trash bisky, we know that. But the thing that really irks me is this money carries over into the regular season. So to waste three-fourths of your budget that you don't lose, you can continue to build it, was what really bothered me. I think the next closest was around $30, maybe even less. I feel like maybe like between $35 and $40 on Nick Foles would have been more than enough. Another very questionable move was when Lefty acquires Frank Gore, who, yes, he seems like he's never going to retire, but in realistic terms will be retiring. Recently signed with the Jets, Lefty spends one-fourth of his budget on Frank Gore. We don't even know if he's going to have a role with the Jets. Maybe some goal line work? I was a little puzzled by that move. Logan, we're talking about the same guy here who spent $90 on Gronkowski <laughs> last year, and then he retired, and he ended up working in WWE and then on Fox. So, I mean, maybe he's got a plan up his sleeves. I personally felt like $4 was more than enough for Frank Gore, but, hey, I guess $24 is. I'll let people be foolish with their fab money. I really don't care. Just from a GM standpoint, that's just too much money for a guy that's 38 years old. Another questionable one was Stirk Daddy dropping $30 on Gerald Everett, who is a backup tight end with the Rams. I know you've mentioned that they do do three tight end sets, but now they just drafted Bryson Hopkins. Tyler Higby is also there. Gerald Everett really got his role taken from him, from Higby late in the season, and it seems like Higby might be the guy moving forward. There were three other bids on Gerald Everett here of note, too. There was a bid of $1, and there was a bid of $0. So <laughs> just a bid, $30, on probably, you know, maybe a tight end, two in Los Angeles. Los Angeles, to me, just seems pretty foolish from Stirk Daddy's part. Again, I'll let him spend his money the way that he wants to. I feel like Gerald Everett's luck is starting to run out in L.A. And then Josh... Reynolds was the next one that Stirk Daddy dropped some money on. He dropped $35 on that. So if you look at Everett and Reynolds combined, that's $65 of his offseason fab. Reynolds, I think it's a good pickup for him because Reynolds at the moment is the wide receiver three behind Woods and Cup. I could see like $15, but he at least gets the guy that he probably believes in would be a nice rotation piece for his team. I wonder if these guys ever take into consideration that we do have uh, fab that is kind of needed during the regular season. A nice little overbid, but I'm going to say it's a good overbid in my eyes, was Justin dropping $32 on Lynn Bowden, who is the hybrid running back wide receiver. He played some quarterback even from the Las Vegas Raiders, and Justin gets him for $32. I was pissed about this one. I think I dropped 17 and I was like, I think that's going to be enough. But Justin doubles my bid and ends up with Lynn Bowden. Yeah, I dropped zero. And I I think John Gruden's got a good piece here with Lynn Bowden uh, Jr. And he's going to play him all around the field. He might even become like, you know, the the Raiders version of a Taysom Hill. I I feel like he's very versatile. I'd love to see how he's going to fit that offense. But I think that was a good move from Justin's part. Yeah, it's $32 and it's a lot of money, but that's kind of what you need to do if you want to get maybe one of the top rookies that wasn't taken in our rookie draft right there. Justin even told me when I met up with him this past week that he was trying hard to trade up into the fourth round so he could take Bowden. Moving on then, we have Jay Sternberger, who Randy did draft and did have on his team last year. He dropped him, and he's now a starting tight end with Jimmy Graham being gone. Justin, again, wins this one, and he spends $22 on Jay Sternberger. I think I bid like $7. Yeah, I bid 0 Jay Sternberger really came on towards the end of the year. He played really well in that NFC Championship game against San Francisco. I flirted with the idea personally of maybe drafting him um, towards the end of the third round, but I passed on it just because I like my rookies. But kind of a good move from Justin from my point of view here, taking him for 22. And then the party continues for Justin as he ends up by tiebreaker winning Quintez Cephas from the Badgers, who is... Now on the Detroit Lions for $14. I know he said he was doing front flips. He said he didn't want to do backflips and steal Tyler's mojo. So he I'm, ends up getting Quintez Cephas. You know, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. I, I'm not a fan of Quintez Cephas. I feel like the guy himself does not have the speed or the hand size to compete in this league. I feel like he's, he's going to be overmatched right away um, with NFL secondary. But, um, again, with, 
with this rookie pick right here and spending a little mon little bit of money here, I do know we have a lot of Badger fans here in our league. Um, it's kind of like a lottery ticket. If he ends up being the star in Detroit, then good for Justin. But from my point of view, I just don't see it. One thing I did find interesting is Quintez Cephas' now teammate, Jeff Akuda said that he viewed Quintez Cephas as the hardest receiver to guard. I can't wait to see the Quintez Cephas versus Geronimo Allison camp battle. Then we get into Jesse Bates. Jesse Bates was won by Sterk Daddy for zero dollars. And will fill everybody in on who Jesse Bates is. For you guys that don't know, Jesse Bates is a uh, defensive back for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Jesse Bates had a very good season last year. Sleeper rated him as one of the top defensive backs um, in their ranks as far as scoring. Uh, it might not mean much relevance to a lot of our guys in our league, but uh, when you can get like a corner that's maybe averaging, hell, I don't know, maybe seven to eight points a, a, a matchup, that's kind of a good IDP to have on your team. And for Sterk Daddy to get him at $0, I got to say, way to go. I mean, I I kind of looked at the fact that who the hell was Jesse Bates, and <laughs> when I saw his numbers, I was thinking, damn, he got quite the steal there. So Sterk Daddy, for as much shit as I gave you tonight, this is probably one of your good moves here, getting him for basically nothing. Taysom Hill. I end up getting him for $6. And guess what? If I would have bid $0 on him, I would have gotten him. There was not a single other bid for Taysom Hill. If God, he, I was I was so pissed that I did not think to maybe give Taysom Hill a look. There's a lot of formats out there now that basically have Taysom Hill uh, going to be eligible at tight end. And Hell, you know, if you can if you can throw a pass, if you are taking direct snaps and you're running the ball and maybe catching a pass or two, that that to me is good for you know six to eight points. And on a week where you might need you know some players playing in the flex role, I mean, this is really not that bad of a move from from your part. Uh, again, I'm super jealous of the fact that you got Taysom Hill. Um, I'd love to see if he sticks on your team for this year, where you'll play him and where he'll st uh, stick around. Mm -hmm. And then Amelia Clark gets into the action by picking up Dan Arnold, who is the tight end for the Arizona Cardinals. Randy considers tight end to be his only weakness, so he took a gamble here on Dan Arnold for very minimal money, who is the starting tight end for the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, uh, shout out UW-Platteville uh, and Dan oh, Arnold. Yeah. Uh, so the thing that I, I think about with Dan Arnold and – Max Williams there in Arizona. Arizona really did, did not use their tight end sets all that well. Um, I don't blame Randy for making this move. We'll have to see if there's um, any progression at all from Dan Arnold this year, but a kind, of, kind of a low-risk move here, just only spending $3 on a guy. Jarek McKinnon was on our waiver report then, and the story I always tell was two years ago, Jarek McKinnon tore his ACL, and he was getting the hype train with the San Francisco 49ers as being the lead back. He was going off the charts in ADP in the end of the second round. Well, he tore his ACL, and this was on a Saturday. This guy in our league drafted Jarek McKinnon at the end of the first round after he tore his ACL. And everybody except for him knew that, and everybody was like trying to hold in their laughter. And Four rounds later, he's on his phone. He says, wait a second, Jerk McKinnon tore his ACL? So he he wasted a first-round pick on Jerk McKinnon, and I think he won two games that year, that guy. You hate, to, you hate to see it. Really do. You also hate to see that I had him on my roster. I dropped him. And Jerk McKinnon, and I think I had him for $2. Jerk McKinnon's claimed the very next day for $15 by Sterk Daddy. Randy with the with the uh, comment of I would say this free agency saying how does the value of Jerick McKinnon go from zero to fifteen dollars in twenty four hours? I mean he's not he's not healthy at the moment. He's still coming off a big time injury. Didn't play it all last year. We'll see what ends up happening with the Forty Niners now that they traded away Matt Breida. He's a running back three behind Mostert and Coleman. So I don't get it. I really don't. But. Whatever, it's not my fat bunny. One that recently happened, Little Slats grabs Carlos Hyde after he was picked up from the Seattle Seahawks. Another depth piece with Rashad Penny always being injured. Chris Carson also not being healthy. 
So that could be an interesting one because he had a starting role with Houston last year, and he actually had a really good fantasy season. From all the notes that I read, uh, I figured that Seattle was going to come back and resign uh, Marshawn Lynch. All signs pointed that way. I personally felt I could maybe uh, spend a few of my fab dollars on a guy like Marshawn Lynch. That ended up not being the case. I, and at this point, I don't see a guy like Lynch actually getting uh, finding a team for 2020. So again, a great move on Little Slide's part. Uh, very minimal uh, signing. $3 really doesn't break the bank. Uh, I feel like he definitely uh, was, got pretty lucky there. And our last one of note we wanted to talk about was undrafted free agent for the San Francisco 49ers, Jamichael Hasty, who Spaceballs dropped $21 on. And that was really one that I was puzzled by because we were about five to six days into our free agency. No one spent a single dollar on him. And Spaceballs puts one-fifth of his budget on him. I think he is still trying to figure out the fab system, but it was nice to see that he was active and he at least got a free agent on his team. Jermichael Hasty had a great year at Baylor last year, was basically undrafted, and now finds himself in San Francisco, uh, basically behind uh, Mostert, Coleman, uh, McKinnon. And I think it's Jeff Wilson. Be a, it's going to be a battle between uh, Wilson and Hasty, kind of for that fourth spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Spaceballs is new to this league. We're trying to teach him as much as we can for the time being. Again, just kind of a questionable move here, just to spend twenty dollars on a guy that probably probably will not. Um, have much value on uh, our deep uh, rosters as we have here in Port of Throne. We'll be right back to talk about our final segment, which is just a team-by-team summary of everybody's draft. We're going to go through each team in our league and overall how their draft went and then their players that they took, the impact that they may have on their roster. Starting here with the one spot, we had D. Slacky. Prior to the trade, he did make that massive deal for Christian McCaffrey. Somehow ends up keeping his 101, but does trade away some of his future picks that he had already been gathering. So he starts off and he takes Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. When asked if he wanted to trade the pick, he said he'd be a fool to do so. Looking down the board then, he takes Van Jefferson, the wide receiver from the Rams. We had previously talked about Josh Reynolds. I think it's going to be a big battle between those two. And then third is Thaddeus Moss, who is an undrafted free agent from the Washington Redskins. He was undrafted because of his medical report and obviously not being able to work out with COVID-19. Thaddeus Moss looks like he could potentially be the starting tight end there. So that was a, a really good pick, and we all pointed him to go to Randy. You know, back when we did our mock draft, I think D. Slack, he was really excited to get a guy like Van Jefferson on his roster. Um, and who knows, he could end up being quite the starter there um, in Hollywood uh, with the Rams. I, I like his move towards this uh, second-to-last pick or third-to-last pick in this draft and getting Thaddeus Moss, like you had mentioned. I don't know the competition that'll be there in D.C., in the tight end room, uh, but kind of a good move there on his part just because if you look at his roster, he's got a guy like Noah Fant on it, uh, start, starting for a tight end who could have a, a really good year, uh, and that's pretty much it. So, again, he could maybe use a guy like Thaddeus Moss on bye weeks, uh, on weeks where Fant isn't starting. So I feel like he had a really good draft, even having just three picks. Our second team then was Little Slads. So D Slads' brother, he did not have a first round pick as he traded it to you in the Derrick Henry ordeal. But he ends up in the second round taking Jalen Rieger, who I potentially saw as a first round pick in our rookie draft. The wide receiver from Philadelphia. They were completely mauled by injuries last year. And now he's looking like a nice piece for that wide receiver core and for Carson Wentz slash Jalen Hurts. He ends up also taking A.J. Dillon, who could be a nice project for the Packers. Do you think that A.J. Dillon's going to have a role this year? Well, I think it's going to be a good battle in training camp and in preseason for running back two between Dillon and Williams because I think 
you know, you look at the Packers next year, and they're going to have some tough decisions as far as whether or not to keep uh, Jones or try to keep Williams on their roster because Dylan will be the only running back that will be under contract along with Dexter Williams, though I don't think Dexter Williams really has a, a role on this Packers squad. I think he'll be battling for, like, you know, third down uh, touches, kind of like your ground and pound. Third player he took was K.J. Hamler, the short yeah. speedster from the Denver Broncos. And I think with what the Broncos can do with Hamler is they can just easily put him in the slot and even use him on special teams, too. He's just so fast. He's got that Penn State pedigree as well. Uh, again, I feel like he got quite the steal there with the first pick in the third round, grabbing a guy like Hamler. And then the final pick that he made was Jordan Love in the fourth. And it was funny because in our mocks, we had Jordan Love in the middle of the third round in most cases. Same thing with Jalen Hurts. But he ends up getting Jordan Love, who's going to be a nice slot in to his taxi. And hopefully a nice piece when he eventually gets the keys to the Green Bay Packers organization. And maybe this season he'll get some uh, some snaps um, in that Packers offense with how they choose to deploy him. I feel like, you know, maybe instead of taking Love there at 4-2, that he maybe would have went with Jalen Hurts instead, um, just because for how often injured that Carson Wentz is, uh, that's kind of, you know, an eye-opener when you take Jalen Hurts in the second round when you're Philadelphia. So I, I, I personally would have rather seen Hurts taken before Love, but he's now got a pretty good handcuff in the event if Rodgers gets hurt or if Rodgers is in his last year in Green Bay here in 2020. So overall, nice draft for Little Slats, who does get some nice weapons to add to his revamped team after his expansion draft. Let's get into our third team, which is Andy's team. And man, I think this segment's going to take 30 minutes. So looking at Andy's very first pick, in the fourth spot, she ends up taking DeAndre Swift, the running back from the Detroit Lions. Carrion Johnson is already there. However, DeAndre Swift now brings a healthy as well as younger back to the Detroit Lions. What do you think about DeAndre Swift? Well, taking DeAndre Swift there at 1-4 for Andy was kind of maybe a no-brainer. Um, it would have been interesting to see if somebody else was taken and if it was maybe a choice between Dobbins and Swift. I think she maybe would have went with a guy like Dobbins, but I feel like that was a good pick for her there at 1-4. Um, and I don't know what DeAndre Swift's role is going to be in Detroit this year, but he definitely does bring some value there to Detroit. I think it was also the right pick, as you said, because there was no other running backs in that first tier left. There was Cam Akers, but I would slot those four at the beginning together, and she just gets with whoever's left over. Her second pick then was Justin Jefferson in the sixth slot. She gets a nice piece. He is the wide receiver, too, looking at it. In Minnesota, now that Diggs is gone. What do you think about Justin Jefferson? I think this was more of a fandom move on her part. Uh, I said, wow, the fact that she took Jefferson that high. I was expecting Judy to go at 1-6, but she definitely gets the wide receiver that she personally likes. And who knows, maybe he might be – he's got great hands, and he's definitely – he's got that LSU uh, pedigree as well. So he, he he's definitely going to have a good role in Minnesota this year, and I'd say that was kind of a good pick for her. Maybe a little too high, but – Again, that's completely her choice, and uh, hopefully he pans out for her. I could have also seen her taking Cam Akers and doubling down on running backs. Knowing that she just lost the best running back in fantasy football, I figured that would be a nice revamping to her running back depth there. Her third pick in the first round was Joe Burrow, quarterback from the Cincinnati Bengals. She knew that if she didn't take him there, she was not going to get him at 203. She made mention that she had been dreaming about drafting Joe Burrow, and she ends up getting him to add to her quarterback depth. Andy renamed her team Mrs. Burrow, and (laughs) this was kind of a move that she needed to make because the only quarterback she had on her roster was uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. So kind of a good move there. I can't wait to see how Joe Burrow is going to look in that Cincinnati offense or how his numbers will look. It's kind of tough to tell. He had a great year in college, but that doesn't always replicate success in the NFL. Great move for her to get her get uh, Joe Burrow there at 111. Then with her next pick, she ends up getting Michael Pittman, who is a wide receiver for the Indianapolis Colts. We will see which wide receivers Philip Rivers really comes to love, but Michael Pittman is a nice piece to add there to the Indianapolis Colts. 
Well, with Pittman playing on the outside in a one-on-one -on -one situation, I feel like he's definitely going to win a lot of those battles. So I feel like she got a great wide receiver there in Michael Pittman, uh, a good prospect out of USC that I personally liked coming out of the draft. Uh, and me thinking that the Packers maybe would have given him a look, but the Packers chose not to go any any route with wide receiver this year. He should be the team's deep option here in 2020. Then the very next pick, she takes Zach Moss, the running back from Utah. Zach Moss is a bruiser, and a lot of people were not happy, especially those that are believers in Devin Singletary, because they thought he would be a workhorse going into this year. Zach Moss, I think, is going to get a lot of work in the red zone, specifically around the goal line, pushing it in for some touchdowns. Yeah, I could see a guy like Zach Moss getting maybe six to eight touchdowns this season. Uh, kind of a good guy right now just to keep on her taxi just because we don't know what kind of a good role he'll have uh, or how often he'll be uh, expecting the ball out of the backfield. But he's uh, he's a great compliment to Devin Singletary up there in Buffalo. Uh, to me, I felt like that was a good pick for her just because um, she does need running back depth, and I feel like he definitely fits that role there for her in that spot. In the third round, then, she took Chase Claypool with her second pick, the wide receiver from Pittsburgh Steelers. Juju's going to demand some big-time money, and we'll see if the Pittsburgh Steelers end up giving him that. But Chase Claypool was a second-round pick from Pittsburgh. So all the tape that I saw on Chase Claypool was the fact that he was a really good special teams player. Uh, another player that comes to mind you know, with Chase Claypool is he reminds me a lot of Heinz Ward. And for a lot of you guys that don't know about Heinz Ward, Heinz Ward was a great blocker, and I feel like that in itself gives him kind of the, the edge maybe over James Washington in, in week one. Um, and he's kind of a good pick there in, in uh, Pittsburgh just to be get, catching passes from Big Ben as well. He could definitely be intriguing in, uh, in this league, and he could definitely have a significant role right away. Um, and, and that's kind of a good pick to get there at 3-2 for Andy's purposes. Uh, as she continues to rebuild her roster. So she takes back-to-back -back Steelers. I like this pick because there's some, a lot of uncertainty with the Pittsburgh Steelers' backfield. James Conner's hurt all the time. He's going to be a free agent. Yeah, he's definitely a little guy for sure. He's only five foot eight, uh, coming out of Maryland there. Like you said, Conner's got a pretty uh, big injury history, so he's kind of, kind of a guy just to watch for playing time this year. Uh, again, a good pick from Andy's. Uh, part as she continues to build her team and then she takes the second idp off the board at 305 in isaiah simmons the flex defensive player for the arizona cardinals really good draft to that point as well because she addressed all offensive needs didn't reach too high on an, an idp and then she gets like a stud in the middle of the third yeah, definitely a good move on her part to grab Isaiah Simmons. He can he can basically play all over the field. I'd be I'd be curious to see where exactly he's going to go there in Arizona, um, but he's very versatile and he's kind of like that Swiss Army knife on defense. At the start of the fourth, she takes Devin Duvernay, who is a wide receiver for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, what do you think about Devin Duvernay? I think he's uh, definitely he's got good hands. He's pretty quick. Um, I really liked him when he was at Texas. He's kind of a name that really sticks out. Uh, not a bad grab there at 4-1 uh, for her team. Uh, again, just kind of a wide receiver just to keep an eye on. She'll probably stash him on the taxi squad this year. I, I really doubt that she'll drop him at all. And then her final pick of the draft came with the top drafted tight end in our recent NFL draft in Cole Komet from the Chicago Bears. He has a ton of talent, but the Bears also have eight tight ends. We'll see what his role is. I do like this pick, though, in the early fourth, knowing he was the first tight end drafted in the NFL draft. As I kind of look at her tight end room, uh, she's got a guy like uh, Evan Ingram now who is kind of injured and just kind of a guy that, in my opinion, just is extremely uh, unreliable. Uh, and now she's she can also put Cole Komet in there, too. Uh, and she's also got Delaney Walker, which we kind of discussed earlier in the show. He's probably not going to have... Um, he's probably not going to sign on with a team he's likely done. He's also injured as well. So a great move on her part to grab Komet there with her last pick in this rookie draft. So she had a ton of picks. I felt like Andy addressed a lot of her needs. She's got 10 picks next year. So she's going to continue to just rebuild that roster. And she's got a lot of good pieces to get excited about uh, in the near future. Our fourth team was Cascade Bear. His first pick was at the end of the second round. He ends up taking Antonio Gibson. 
he made mention that he that Antonio Gibson is being compared to Christian McCaffrey. I have no clue where he got that comparison to. I've never seen that. But I think he's going to fit right into that Chris Thompson role, who is now with Jacksonville. The Redskins hoard their running backs kind of like the Bears hoard their tight ends. I He can say that all he wants about Gibson, but I don't see it. But, again, with where he took Gibson, not that bad of a pick at that slot at 211. Um, kind of appropriate in a sense, too, just because you look at his team, uh, he's currently got Mixon on his roster, the running back for Cincinnati, and he might be under a holdout this year until he feels like he can get the money that he deserves. And I just look at it, the rest of his running backs. He's got Mac, but just a lot of guys that are just like, huh, and I don't think they really just have like a whole lot of value kind of in a dynasty format. Then he had two fourth-round picks. He ends up first getting Patrick Queen, who is the now linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens. I like that piece for him. Third player was Albert O. I'm not going to even try to pronounce it, but Albert O is the tight end for the Denver Broncos. Also a very intriguing pick. I would suggest he puts him on his taxi squad because they do have Noah Fant there, and we don't really know what Albert O's role is going to be yet. I agree with you there. I feel, I feel like he's going to be best uh, suited on the taxi. Patrick Queen is a really intriguing prospect coming out of LSU. Not much to talk about for Cascade Bear, but he really didn't have the picks to make there. So um, I, I felt like he had a really good draft as well. Getting into our five spot was my spot. And in the very first round, as previously mentioned, I traded up from 201 and a future first to end up with Jerry Judy, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos. I think he instantly slots right in in the wide receiver two for Denver with Cortland Sutton. I don't feel like Judy is a guy you should probably put on your taxi. I feel no. like he's a guy that you need to start right away um, in that in that flex role just because I, I, I don't know if he's deserving of your top wide receiver spots. I see you have Hopkins and you have Gallup at the moment, uh, but I feel like he's definitely a good piece to keep in mind there as you, uh, as you continue to improve your team from the previous year. And then I didn't have picks all the way until the fourth round. The first one I take is Jalen Hurts the quarterback from the Philadelphia Eagles. And I know you've mentioned that Carson Wentz, you could see potentially getting pulled depending on his health and his performance. But I really like that pick coming at 407. Yeah, I do too. And I I feel like you definitely won or probably had the best pick of that round there by taking Hertz. I love Hertz. I loved him from his days in college. Um, You got to keep in mind his interceptions is too. He likes to be a little dangerous with the ball, but Again, if, if he's a guy you slot on your taxi for this year and he ends up you know, maybe winning that role in Philadelphia, then, hey, you got yourself a good quarterback that you can maybe slot behind uh, Mahomes there um, and even Tannehill too. Third p- person that I drafted was Javon Kinlaw, who is now with the San Francisco 49ers. They got rid of DeForest Buckner. I was at 4'11". At that point, I didn't really see anybody I liked. I should have saw Lynn Bowden slash Quintez Cephas, but I didn't. And I am getting Javon Kinlaw for the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, you, you can't. You, I can't blame you for taking Kinlaw there. Uh, I feel like he, again, will make that Niners defense better. Uh, he's definitely no DeForest Buckner. We'll have to wait and see how he looks coming uh, moving forward. Our sixth team, then, is Lefty's team. He states that he's going to take a backflip and drafts C.D. Lamb with his first-round pick. Yeah, C.D. Lamb now in that Dallas offense becomes really, really intriguing. I feel like Dallas maybe took him just to kind of piss Philly off in a sense because Philly did need uh, a wide receiver. And I did not see this coming, but I feel like he gives Dak Prescott another option there. Um, kind of surprised he was the first wide receiver taken, but I feel like he's going to start from day one for uh, Lefty uh, on on his team just because I, I look at his, his flex options and he's got – Cooks from Houston, and he's also got Crowder, and I feel like uh, I feel like a guy like Lamb is definitely an upgrade over any of those two that he could easily slot in his flex right away. His second pick then was in the early part of the second round. He trades up and drafts Tua Tungo-Vailoa from the Miami Dolphins to add to his quarterbacks. Man, he just did another backflip. Uh, his quarterbacks on his roster are uh, Kirk Cousins and Matt Ryan. And so a guy like Tua is is not that bad of a pick either because 
as we all know, Matt Ryan's getting older. Uh, he is currently 35 on his 12th year. And then just Kirk Cousins really is not that productive of a quarterback here in dynasty formats. So um, kind of a good pick, just kind of a take a chance on Tua and just see what he can do down there in South Beach. And his final pick then was Antonio Gandy Golden towards the end of the third round. I was I not like, happy with that. I knew you were not very happy about that pick. Um, you know, there's guys like Terry McLaurin on that team, but I feel like Antonio Gandy Golden's kind of like that uh, second option there in uh, Washington behind Haskins. So kind of a good pick from lefty's point of view. I feel like a guy like Gandy Golden's probably going to sit on his taxi just because we just don't know what kind of a role or how productive he'll be in year one. But I feel like he's a good receiver he can easily put there on his roster, on his taxi squad for this season. Then we get into the seventh slot, and we have Stirk Daddy. Stirk Daddy traded up, and he got the third overall pick, which was originally mine. And he ends up taking J.K. Dobbins, the Baltimore Ravens running back. Keep in mind, Mark Ingram's still in Baltimore, too, so it's going to kind of be tough to project his value. But, again, it's kind of an option that you can maybe put there at the right back two slot for Stirk Daddy. And then he traded away his second first-round pick to me and moves back to 201 and gets Henry Ruggs. He told me it was good because he was targeting Henry Ruggs at 110 anyways. He said if he did not pull off a trade, that's where the direction he was going to go. And I feel like Henry Ruggs is kind of a good option too for a flex spot, though it looks like as of right now he's not on a taxi squad. We'll, we'll have to wait and see what he what he thinks of Ruggs and how he looks this preseason. Uh, I do think he is definitely a... Um, a good flex option and a better flex option than a David Johnson who uh, who is definitely uh, you know seen see better days and then he drafts another wide receiver this time from the Jacksonville Jaguars in LaVisca Chenault LaVisca Chenault's a very intriguing prospect too uh, he goes down to Jacksonville he's going to be competing alongside with DJ Chark and D.D. Westbrook and Chris Conley, uh, but definitely another wide receiver to keep your eyes on, just kind of another target for Minshew Magic down there in uh, Duval. And then he triples down with a third wide receiver. This time it's another Las Vegas Raider and Brian Edwards from South Carolina. Yeah, Brian Edwards is another good, intriguing back. I feel like he's very strong, very physical. Um, to me, I feel like he's going to be best suited on Stirk Daddy's uh, taxi squad. I'm not one to make decisions for him, but uh, he's definitely got first-round talent, but he's just dropped off because of a foot injury. That's just something to keep an eye on uh, this season. But, you know, the Raiders already have guys like Ruggs now. They got Tyrell Williams as well. Uh, keep in mind, Darren Waller is also on Stirk Daddy's roster, but he's also with the Raiders. So I kind of feel like Brian Edwards is probably going to be on his taxi squad and just kind of like a wait-and-see kind of a player. And the final player that he drafts is Hayden Hurst, who he traded up with me to get. So Stirk Daddy's got three tight ends rostered right now. He's got Everett, he's got Hurst, and he's also got uh, Darren Waller, as I mentioned before. Austin Hooper really thrived in that role in Atlanta in that tight end slot. So the the, the Falcons acquired Hurst from Baltimore, and they definitely see a value in his skill set. So he could definitely be an intriguing piece there on his roster, on his active roster here in 2020. Then we move on to Justin, who only had two picks. He started with three, and he ends up giving one to you. Ends up taking Jonathan Taylor from the Indianapolis Colts. So this was a pick that I was going to make, but Justin definitely saw value in getting him. I, I feel like, you know, just, just between the two picks, and Logan will announce Akers as well, between Taylor and Akers, I feel like he completely improved his running back room right away from day one. You know, you're just looking at his team right now, uh, he's already got Taylor slated as running back one. Justin's a huge Wisconsin Badger fan. He's got his guy. And it's interesting because he might force Marlon Mack out of Indianapolis. Moving into Spaceballs then. And Spaceballs had a bunch of second and third round picks. It started off at 209, and he ends up drafting Brandon Ayuk who seems to be the wide receiver two now with the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, I was really happy about this pick for Spaceballs. Uh, if there's anything that went right for him, it was the fact that he definitely did grab one of those wide receivers there. I was hoping he would have slid to me at the following pick, 
but I feel like Ayuk does have a lot of value there at 2-9. Uh, kind of maybe the, the best pick that he made all night uh, for value that was there. And then he ends up taking two running backs in the third in Darrington Evans, who seems to be the handcuff for Derrick Henry in Tennessee. And then also Joshua Kelly, who is a running back thrown into the backfield situation in Los Angeles for the Chargers. Nothing wrong with taking a, a couple handcuffs here in round three. Uh, Joshua, Joshua Kelly, is, to me, and, and I say this as a, not a Chargers fan because I'm, I'm a Packer fan myself, but I feel like Joshua Kelly is an injury away from taking away those carries from Austin Eckler. I feel like I feel like he's a workhorse. I feel like he works hard. He's a great player. He's kind of that running back that the Chargers need. Um, just kind of a guy that's going to come in and work hard behind Eckler, uh, competing for spots. And Darrington Evans, again, he's an injury away from possibly just taking over that running back room in Tennessee. So really good handcuffs taken there in round three for Spaceballs. And then his final pick happened in round four with DJ Dallas, the running back from the Seattle Seahawks. I don't know a ton about DJ Dallas. Um, it looks like he is currently sitting on that taxi squad for uh, Spaceballs. I just know that he's got a pretty goofy name. Um, again, he definitely provides that necessary assurance for Seattle's run first offense. Let's get into your team then at the 10 slot. And we start off with you taking Keyshawn Vaughn at pick eight after trading down with Justin. Yeah, I kind of I kind of needed a running back bad, so this was kind of a no-brainer here at 108. Uh, I was going running back first regardless, so Keyshawn Vaughn is kind of an intriguing add. Uh, he's going to be in that Tampa Bay offense with Tom Brady. Tom Brady likes to do a lot of checkdowns, and just from checking my research on Vaughn, he definitely is kind of like that hybrid back that I really love in dynasty formats, especially in PPR leagues. So I felt like that was kind of the right pick to make at that point in the draft. And then we get into the guy that we mutually love, which is Denzel Mims. He seems like he's going to be one of those top wide receivers with the New York Jets. And look, I could have taken a guy like Judy here. I could have taken Rieger. Uh, but I, I ended up changing my mind last minute and going with Denzel Mims. This was kind of a guy that both Logan and I did our research on. And while he dominated against Big 12 competition, I felt like he was kind of that guy that in that New York Jets offense, I feel like he's going to become that favorite target for Sam Darnold. Um, he's he's definitely got uh, the length and the speed. I love watching him make those uh, sideline catches, those tiptoe catches. Uh, and I felt like for me, that was kind of the, the way to go. I see myself with uh, taking Mims right there and putting him in one of my flex options. And then for a guy like Bond, uh, I feel like he's going to be probably best suited for me right now on my taxi just because I do have a lot of running backs on my team that I could easily slot right there as my running back too. I just don't know what kind of a role Keyshawn Bond's going to have right away. I'll just store him on my taxi and then I'll just kind of watch as the season goes on just to see what he can possibly do moving forward. And then in the second round, you take Justin Herbert, who is the quarterback for the Los Angeles Chargers. He has the keys to the franchise. And it's just about, are they comfortable with starting him right away? Or are they going to ease him in with Tyrod Taylor? So this is a move that I felt like well, that was necessary for me to make once Ayuk was taken. Um, I tried to trade this pick myself, but I feel like Justin Herbert, for being as highly drafted as he was and for how disappointed Logan was, um, I do think he will be starting at some point in 2020. I'm going to store him on my taxi right now. My quarterbacks on my team are Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, uh, both of which are getting up there in age. So I felt like this was kind of the necessary move that I needed to make. It's not the quarterback that I like, but I felt like it was kind of the quarterback that, you know, just for my team purposes, he was kind of a guy that I needed to take seeing as Tua was gone um, and that I wasn't going to wait till the following round just to see if Love would be there, if her would be there. I just felt like, you know, he's right there. Just take him, just watch and see what he does. And end up being a star. And if he does, then that's kind of a win on my part. And then you get into the third round where you take your 100% bona fide guy in Tyler Johnson from Minnesota. Tyler Johnson, no matter what. I, I you know, being a big Gopher fan and just watching him play, he's Minnesota born and raised. Um, he's, he plays with a chip on his shoulder. He runs really good routes. I think, you know, he's going to definitely face some competition there in Tampa Bay. Uh, and, you know, because Tampa Bay's definitely got Godwin. He's, they got uh, Evans as well as Gronk, OJ Howard. Uh, and even Cameron Braid as well. 
So I, I can't wait to see what his role is going to be in that Tampa Bay offense. Um, hopefully he's rowing the boat there at Raymond James Stadium on that big-ass pirate ship and just putting up big numbers down there here in 2020. And then the final player that you have from this draft was Devin Asiasi, who, as you've mentioned before, may take on the Gronk role as tight end for the New England Patriots. Yeah, and I felt, you know, between for me there at that spot, it was between Asiasi and Cole Komet. And I actually went to an expert opinion with Randy just to ask him what his thoughts were. And I told him that I personally like uh, Asiasi because, you know, if, if Stidham's throwing him bombs, um, he, he's just kind of a guy that, you know, he's got great size, he's got great length. And, again, Gronk's, Gronk, he, he basically fits that Gronk mold right away too. So I'm excited to see what kind of a role he'll have. Tight ends kind of don't have a whole lot of value as rookies, but if he can actually end up being a good pick for me, then I felt like I you know, maybe struck it rich two years in a row between Hawkinson and then Asiasi. And then we're going to get into our longest segment, Psych, in Randy's draft, which he had one pick, in the middle of the fourth round, and he ends up taking a shocker in Adam Troutman, the tight end for the New Orleans Saints. I think we were all pretty surprised that he didn't take uh, Thaddeus Moss just because of the ties with Randy Moss and Randy being the biggest Viking fan that I know outside of my sister. Uh, no, I, I feel like he's kind of a good pick there. Troutman's now in New Orleans with uh, Drew Brees. Uh, he, gets a lot, he gets to learn quite a bit behind Jared Cook. Uh, you know, just 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 a guy there that he's got a lot of upside, especially if he can get it going down there um, in the Superdome. Moving on to Ryan's team, and Ryan had five picks. He started it off at the end of the first round by taking T. Higgins from the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, and, and, and T is definitely a new target for Joe Burrow there. Uh, kind of back-to-back Bengals there, taken at the end of our first round. Um, he had a great, great career there at Clemson. Um, I'm kind of surprised he went Higgins rather than Regan there, but that, again, is his choice, and that is his own research there for taking Higgins right away. Moving into the second round, then, at the end, he takes Chase Young, the first IDP off the board, going to be a monster for the Washington Redskins and that kind of scary defensive front. Yeah, kind of a surprising move though, from my point of view, to take him at the end of the second round, um, the highest IDP taken being Chase Young there. I felt like he could have grabbed a guy like McFarland that was taken there kind of in the middle of the third round, but hey, uh, not not a bad move, especially when you're sitting at the end, and that basically, when you just look at your team up and down the line, he's pretty much set route, and he's just looking for depth pieces. Mm-hmm. The third one that he got was Eno Benjamin, who is a running back for the Arizona Cardinals. I think he took him for the sole purpose that he has Kenyon Drake, and he wants every part of that backfield. He did just trade for Chase Edmonds from me, so now he has all three backs for Arizona. Yeah, and and this is just my opinion. I feel like Arizona's offense is a run-first kind of an offense. So, um, again, probably a guy he'll just stash on his taxi squad and just kind of just watch throughout throughout the season. And then the fourth round, he had two picks, first starting with LaMichael Pirine, who was drafted by the New York Jets. And the last one that he had was Jason Huntley, running back for the Detroit Lions. So I, I do like the P. Ryan move because he's just kind of a depth piece because you just never know what you're going to get with Le'Veon Bell. Um, again, he might have that kind of that fantasy value if he ends up you know in a running back by committee. I feel like, again, he's maybe an injury away from kind of getting a lot of those reps. He'll probably be a guy that sits on the taxi squad right now, um, but just kind of a piece to watch moving forward. Um, as Le'Veon Bell um, in his contract situation with the Jets too. Uh, we'll see how that looks here by the end of the season. But uh, definitely a guy that I probably will see on a taxi squad. And then Jason Huntley, I can see the exact same thing. Uh, he was a very late pick by the Detroit Lions. I don't think he has any part of that backfield going forward at this moment, so he's just going to stash him on his taxi. That is all we have. So moving forward, episodes that are coming up include we're going to do team-by-team breakdowns. Each team is going to get their own episode. We are also going to be doing a positional ranking episode. So with that being said, thanks for joining us this week, and we will see you next time.